Okay, well, welcome to the one time in the week you're going to hear me play Westlife and Bross and stuff like that. But I have no choice because my next guest, who is the one and only James Marsh, he just, in fact, he held a knife to me last week if I didn't play that kind of stuff. So, sorry, it's got to be done. Join us on Facebook Live as we say hi to the man. How are you, James? Very well, thank you for that. I, I do love my Fine 90s boy band. without wings. Right, yeah. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's absolutely... It's unparalleled. It's absolutely wonderful. Yep, anyway, so mm-hmm. um, back to... It's snakes and ladders. It's back down the snake. We're back on the couch. Whatever, however you want to we put are. it. But you, I've been saying all morning, have an antidote. Yes, indeed. Um, we are, yes, so lockdown is back in force. Cinemas are closed again for at least two weeks. That's at least until the 15th. So I hope... Huh. release of Wonder Woman 84 mm. but this morning Warner Brothers dropped a global bombshell oh, yeah. by announcing that every single film that they have scheduled for release in cinemas in 2021 is going to also be released simultaneously on HBO Max well, which is their digital they platform. don't have a lot of choice now, right is, now do they you think we're doing you a favour no not really you're not well, it's kind of, you know, it's it's a bit of a slight to the cinemas, to be honest, who are more than struggling already this year. You know, mm. they've been sort of opening, closing, opening, closing all over the world. And what they're basically saying now is that we're going to give all of these films straight into your home at the same time. They're, they're, they're banking against the cinemas in favour of just pushing up their subscriber numbers. Yes, for HBO Max, they would, wouldn't they? Uh, which... Has has launched well, you know. It has it had good opening numbers, but at the same time, they want it much better. Apparently, there are still sort of twenty eight odd million uh, HBO subscribers in the US who haven't sort of clicked on their HBO Max subscription, even though it's free and things like that. So they're hoping that this will drive it. Um, but it's a pretty unprecedented move. You know, it means that films like, you know, starting with Wonder Woman on, at Christmas, uh, Dune next year, uh, The Suicide Squad, uh, there's a new Space Jam movie, uh, you know, the, everything. Oh, they awesome. have said that it will be every every single movie that they're releasing in theatres will day and date be released on HBO Max as well, which is premium subscription available only in the US and maybe a couple of other places at the moment. Yeah. Uh, where it'll be available on HBO Max for, for a month after the release date, and then they will take it off. Mm-hmm. And if the film's doing well in, in cinemas, if cinemas are even open, then it will continue to run as per normal in cinemas, and then you'll get the normal window, and then you'll get the physical release and what have you going forward. Well, let me ask you one thing, though. So obviously it's a different business model, which they probably wouldn't have done unless they had their arms up behind their backs. Now, you as a critic, what do you think about trying different models? Can't... Well, this, I mean, Warner Brothers have definitely been more assertive than others in experimenting this year with uh, navigating the minefield that is the coronavirus. I mean, it's Warner Brothers who released Tenet, yes. which remains to date the only sort of blockbuster of the year, really, that tried. And arguably, it was a failure. The idea was put something in the cinemas that everybody wants to see and they will go and see it. Mm-hmm. And it proved not to be true, certainly in the US. You know, people decided uh, and voted with their dollars, I'm going to stay at home, I don't feel safe going, and it only made something in the region of $50 million in the US. So it's it's still a very risky proposition, and what they have decided is... You know, if we are all pivoting digitally, and Disney has already said that they want to, they're actively pivoting towards their 
Disney Plus platform. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to entice new subscribers to join our service. And I think, I mean, I would do it if we had access to HBO Max here, which we don't, and I'll get onto that in a second. <laughs> uh, I would, I would happily subscribe so that you know we can get we can get all of these films in our home because audiences are becoming increasingly comfortable. Bigger picture, though, they're changing. They're what, what do you call it? A paradigm shift. 120 years of basically movie going. Yeah. 120 years of habit. They're changing. Ish. It, it is it is it is remarkable like i said it is unprecedented it has been this huge shock to the the industry when it was announced just a few hours ago um within 24 hours of amc cinemas putting what 200 million shares on the stock market um so it's going to be fascinating how it's going to affect hong kong is going to be far slower because i mean if anything i what it will do is it will actually shore up a lot of theatrical release dates in Hong Kong yeah. because we don't have access to HBO Max a lot and uh, HBO as we know it in Hong Kong is uh, licensed by Now TV I believe it is I'm not sure of the exact inner workings of it yeah, yeah. but, but uh, Warner Brothers don't have con- full control of HBO or the release of all, of all their films in this part of the world so if they're doing day, these day and day digital releases with all of their theatrical films, mm-hmm. I think Warner Brothers in Hong Kong realizes that the only way they're going to get any money out of any of these films if, is if they go the same way and if they release these films theatrically on the same day here. Because the big risk with all of this, and we have seen that this happen this year already, is that as soon as you put something up on a digital platform, it gets pirated immediately. Yep. And and it's not like going sneaking into a theatre with you and getting it on your phone. This is beautiful, uh, you know, high res, 1080p HD. So I've been told, and uh, you know, this is as good quality as you as you would want. And as soon as that is that goes online, it's it floods the marketplace within within a couple of hours. Yep, easy. And that is going to be a, so. That's a huge gamble. And obviously, they know this is happening, but. They believe that if we put it up legitimately and make it available legitimately in that format, people will pay for it. And I think they can look at Netflix and they can look at their other competitors and and agree and say, yes, people will pay for it if it's convenient. Uh, uh, yeah, it's easier to get than a knockoff one, right? Is that what you're saying? But you just have to pay a bit. Yeah, for mo- most people, most people, it, to be honest, don't want to break the law. Yeah. And most people don't, you know, a lot of people still don't know how to do it. So if it is sort of put in front of them and said, do you want to pay for this? People will go, yeah, sure. If it's something they want to watch, they'll pay for it. Yeah, fair enough. All right, then. Well, we've got some things he wants to recommend for you today. Uh, we have. Okay, so there's, there's a big event that I'll, I'll talk about after the news, but let's go to what is actually available in Hong Kong on your television set. If you have Netflix, uh, there is an Italian uh, action thriller called The Beast that is now available on Netflix. I want you to stop me when you this sounds familiar. So Reva is a middle-aged uh, former special forces captain uh, dealing with a bit of PTSD. You just said special forces. Yep. Okay. <laughs> dealing with a bit of P- PTSD. No, no, and, uh, nobody works for the pay corps, do they? They're all like ninja seals and stuff. He doesn't really seem to be working for anybody oh. right now. He's like I said, he's got he's got like an addiction to prescription drugs. 
He's he's got haunted by memories of his uh, of his service career. He's estranged from his family, his wife, his adult son, and his young daughter. And then guess what? His young daughter gets kidnapped yeah. by some very very nasty does he, does people. Does he pick up the telephone and does he say? If Reva, he... <laughs> as luck would have it, has a very special I set will of skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he he heads out using his. Um, blunt instrument approach to justice to uh to track these people down and find his daughter so yeah this is italian <laughs> taken yeah uh, <laughs> and it's Eni. quite shameless <laughs> in in how similar similar and straightforward it, it is well is uh, it is it actually add... a, is it an actual buyout of that concept that script or whatever you know? it, no it's not okay. it's not an official remake gotcha. but it's just taking that very let's say generic yet wholly identifiable premise and running with it. <laughs> very good. Uh, there's one added element where he sort of wrong-foots the cops very early on and they jump to this ludicrous conclusion that he was seen recently in the same vicinity as their prime suspect. Therefore, he uh, must be in cahoots uh, with uh, them. You know, rather than the more obvious solution, which is he's trying to get his daughter back, it's like, no, he must be somehow connected with... With the guys who have kidnapped... <laughs> it's amazing. You see, you say this, this is logic, absolutely no words. Have you noticed, any time you watch a movie like this, they're the world's greatest brains and detectives, and they always go, like, massively around the houses, and you're going... Yep. You know, it's that one. Yes, and it's a, hu <laughs> it's a huge bugbear of mine when, when characters just behave irrationally and in a way that no normal human would, because that's just the way they want the story to go. And, and they don't turn their phones off on a stealth mission. I'm, I digress. No. Or they've got it on vibrate, but it's <laughs> yes. incredibly noisy vibrate. It's incredibly noisy vibrate, um, which kind of defeats the purpose of having yeah. it on silent. That's true. So, okay, so what you get is, yes, essentially taken. Now, the, the lead actor is quite a you know, Fabrizio Gifuni. He's quite a... Well, actually, no, that, is that his name? You tell me. I think that's his name. It is. Now. I think that no one knows. No, one, no one's going to know if that's his name or not. It's quite uh, a formidable screen presence. You know, he's a big kind of hulking guy, bald head, massive beard. Uh, you know, talks with his fists as as eloquently as he does with his mouth. Um, the film can't quite decide or commit to whether it wants to be an actual sort of hard hitting character drama just about this damaged man with one last chance at redemption, yeah. or whether it wants to be full-on B-movie action. Now, the B-movie action of today, the bar is actually surprisingly high. I mean, you've got Taken, and that seems to have opened the floodgates for this whole subgenre, or a revival of this whole subgenre of just the, you know, the lone vigilante. And you, now you've got films like sort of John Wick and these Indonesian films like The Raid and Night Comes For Us, where the, the actual quality of the action itself you know the choreography and the stunt work and whatever is at such a high bar mm. now that if you're gonna compete you really need to push the envelope and what the beast this film doesn't do is really push the envelope <laughs> it's okay it's competent you know the performances aren't bad the production values are pretty slick but it's not quite exciting and punchy enough to to be like a Taken or a John Wick, and it's not quite dramatic and uh, cerebral enough to be, you know, a noteworthy character piece. So it falls somewhere between these two stools. Right. I think, sadly, it'll end up slightly disappointing both camps. But at the same time, it's it's okay. 
it's okay. But uh, th- there's better in both courts. Thank you. There. I'm glad I got that really quickly, though, because usually you challenge me and I haven't got a clue and I look like a <laughs> numpty. <laughs> but uh, well, I knew, I, yes, I knew you'd be familiar with this particular kind of movie. So anyway, that's called The Beast and that is an Italian movie and it is on Netflix right now right, if you then. want some lowbrow low punching. Let's tease for another three minutes before we hit the news. So what, what, what else do we look right. at? Uh, OK, so what I am going to talk about is uh, normally... In any other year, I wouldn't be at home now. I wouldn't even be in the studio with you. I would be across the pond in, in Macau yeah. for the International Film Festival and Awards Macau, which is now in its fifth year and has actually quickly become a pretty notable festival in the region. Uh, obviously, what with coronavirus and what have you, uh, they have, like so many other festivals, pivoted to an online edition. Now, because to do with rights issues of uh, f- film distribution and what have you, Hong Kong and Macau... Uh, come in the same bracket. So uh, Hong Kong residents, wherever you may be living, you have access to this festival. Now, how it works is you just go to the the festival website, which is IFFA Macau. Macau spelt the the Macau way, so M-A-C-A-O, IFFA Macau.com. I'll put it in the details of uh, our Facebook feed. And there you have access to more than 30 new features from around the world and you just pay uh, per film that you want to see. I think it's it's $50, Hong Kong dollars, so that's a cheap movie ticket as it was. And you get, depending on which film it is, either a 24-hour window or a 48-hour window from its scheduled start time to watch the film in the comfort of your own home. Sounds good. Actually, it really does sound good. It's, it's, I've tried it out because it started yesterday afternoon, so I've watched like one or two things on there already, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's working. Absolutely brilliant. Right, well, we're going to go to the news in just about 45 or so, so what are you going to talk about afterwards? And perhaps, um, if you have any suggestions, join us on Facebook Live, if you can, if you can be bothered, that is, uh, and chip in. <laughs> What are we going to be doing? Give me a couple just to look forward to. Okay, well, I am going to give you a couple of specific rec- reviews of films that are playing in the next couple of days at the Macau Festival. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm going to be talking about a Korean supernatural thriller yeah. on Netflix called The Call. Right, James, sit tight. Going to be back in a minute. Let's do this. Well, let's say hello to Nige, Nig, Nige. Anyway, he says we're watching Tehran. Quite like it. Different. What do you reckon? Tell us about Tehran. James. Um, I, I know very little about there it, There you go. You've got I a think job, it's, Nige. <laughs> I think it's on uh, Apple TV+, Plus, I believe. And I think I saw a headline just the other day saying that it's been renewed for a second season. So it must be doing its, its job. But um, I haven't had a chance to watch it. Well, let me ask him, what do you mean? Because James is going to tell you about a couple more. So in exchange, when you say it's different, just give us a clue what you mean. On my desk by mm-hmm. one o'clock, OK? Yeah. What do we got? <laughs> OK, let's do The Call, which is a supernatural Korean thriller on Netflix right now. Uh, it's about two women who are separated by 20 years in time, uh, but are connected by a mysterious phone call. Uh, it stars... Uh, Park Shin Yi as uh, Ye Yo Son, 
uh, sorry, Yo- So Yon, uh, who returns to the village where she grew up and uh, the boarded up family home. She moves in and reconnects the old landline, which quickly rings, and she starts getting these strange calls from a young girl called Yong Suk. Mm-hmm. She soon establishes that Yong Suk lives in the same house that she's in only 20 years ago. Yeah, we and didn't see that to coming her from the at park. all, did we? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like a supernatural... It's a sort of supernatural horror thriller version of... Uh, there's a very classic Korean uh, romantic drama from like 20 years ago called Il Mare, where these two people who live, again, in different time periods, communicate by writing each other letters. That's a great film. So it kind film. of plays with that... It, yeah, it kind of plays with that. They remade it, actually, with Sandra Bullock called The Lake House. I think Keanu Reeves was in it, but it wasn't very good. And what about uh, the one where... Is it Sam... Sam Rockwell, the guy's the father and he's talking to his son, he's a fireman, and they talk on wireless rig. Anyway, that whole concept. Yeah, I'm not sure which one that is. It's the same deal, Uh, anyway. So, yeah, so they... So... So young, she quickly realizes that this young girl, who's who is a teenager, she's like eighteen years old. Song young, um, young suck is. She realizes she is living in the time period in the days going up to uh, her father's death. Her father died in a house fire like twenty years ago, um, and persuades this teenage girl to sort of intervene and stop the fire from taking place. It happens, and uh, so young's present day changes her father her mother appear, magically sort of appear in her midst this... and her entire sort of life quality of life changes so much so that she be- and she's so happy you know to be reunited with her parents that she starts neglecting the phone calls coming in from young suk now young suk doesn't like that very much and the more she ignores the phone calls the angrier young suk gets and realizes that she can actually get her revenge by tampering with her present and impacting So Yun in the future. James, I'm talking about a movie. I'm sorry, I, this is important. Frequency. That's what it's <laughs> okay. called. And, Frequency. And it's pretty, okay. much, it's pretty much everything you've just said. Mm. Mm. But it is. But it is the same Yeah, setup. I mean, this is... Apparently, this is even a remake of a, of a very little-seen um, movie from 2011, a British film called the caller which i haven't seen so but it's a yeah it's a fun idea that obviously has been revisited a a number of times and uh here is another one but what this does is it doesn't ever attempt to explain why any of this is happening it simply throws these two women into this kind of tete-a-tete who are divided by 20 years but one of whom is becoming increasingly sort of vindictive towards the other one and by starts playing around with time in order to impact the future. You know, breaking all of those time travel rules that Back to the Future and other films taught us. That, you know, when you're in the past, don't touch anything, don't do anything, because it will, you know, the butterfly effect will affect your, impact your future in, in horrendous ways. Well, this girl's like, oh, you mean like this? And like this? And like this? <laughs> and deliberately, deliberately getting her revenge on this other girl 20 years hence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it doesn't attempt to explain everything, but what it does is it really exploits this sort of ridiculously high-concept premise for all the, the horror, supernatural thrills and chills that you could want. It gets increasingly ridiculous, as one might expect, as things go across, but the two lead performances are very, very strong, so much so that it really kind of holds the whole thing together. Park Shin Ye, who plays, like, the heroine, if you like, Seo mm-hmm. Yun, does a sort of excellent job of being... 
uh, sort of in peril without being frustrating and annoying and, you know, as so easily can, can happen. But it's really John Jong-seo who was in Burning, Lee Chan-dong's film that got a lot of critical acclaim a couple of years ago. Uh, this is only her second film after that. And she is now sort of uh, cementing her position as kind of sort of the, the crazy young girl in Korean cinema right now. It's a, it's a great performance. She gets to go much broader and much screwier with it than she did in, in Burning. Mm. Burning was a far more sort of subtle, understated film. Here, this is full-blown, you know, play to the, play to the cheap seats kind of crazy, crazy horror movie. And uh, she's really setting herself up as as one of the hot young talents in Korean cinema. So that's called The Call, and that is also on Netflix right now. So slightly duff, slightly lazy premise and working, but really done well. How's that? Well, yeah, it understands how sort of ridiculous this premise is, but it kind of lets you in on the joke. It's like, we know this is dumb, ah. but we can do something really, fu really fun with it. Okay. So come along on the ride with us. And if, if a film manages to do that, if a film knows exactly who its audience is, it, it understands what kind of film it is, it doesn't have any pretensions to be anything more cerebral. You know, it's kind of like what The Beast wasn't doing. The, the Beast kept trying to pretend it was something a little bit more weighty and a bit more serious and a bit more dramatic instead of just being a punchy, punchy action movie. This film knows exactly how dumb it is and invites you along and for the ride, and that, plays, and that plays to its in its favour, and uh, it, it proves really, really enjoyable. So that's the call that's on Netflix. All right, well done. Time for whatever but, else you want to do. Well, what I do want to do is highlight some of the films that are playing at the Macau Festival right now, which, as I said, you can access right now by going to their website, which is iffamacau.com. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, over the next few days, there are some great films playing within a sort of 24 to 48 hour window of their scheduled start time. So you need to go have a look at the schedule. So there's a couple of things that I have seen already. One of them is actually one of my favorite films of the year so far, which is called Relic. Now, I did talk about this film earlier in the year. It's an Australian horror drama um, about a woman and her teenage daughter who go into the countryside in, uh, to visit her ailing mother who's got sort of uh, dementia and keeps wandering off into the woods. Yep. And so you've got three generations of the same family, female generations, it should be pointed out, in the same household. And it's a household where, you know, yes, it's where their family kind of uh, originated, but it's it's full of a lot of sort of festering uh, memories and secrets and tragedies and what have you. They're literally kind of sort of leaking through the moldy, porous walls. And as the elder as the grandmother is kind of getting lost within the caverns of her own mind hmm. you become lost in the sort of strangely cavernous recesses of this old family home it's a really smart really intelligently done and genuinely scary movie and that's called relic now that is scheduled to start uh on what day are we on, on sunday morning so anytime from 11 a.m on sunday morning you can go and uh rent that on the uh, on the Macau Festival website and I recommend that you do because right now it might just be my favourite film of the year so far. Yeah, brilliant. Well, let's say hello to Gary. He says, sorry late into the theatre. Can you show me my seat with a torch, please? Then I can get the popcorn going. You are now, you're like a sideshow now, James. Uh, and Nigel said it's about a Mossad agent with the timing. is interesting because of a recent murder of a Syrian scientist. Different theme from what we're used to. That is Tehran. Anyway, thanks very much. We're on Facebook Live. What do you got?
Okay, another film that's playing right now. It actually sort of, you know, it was one of the opening films of the festival, so it started yesterday. It's called Seventy Six Days. Now, this has actually screened in Hong Kong already as part of the Asian Film Festival last month, but obviously that's done. So if you didn't get a chance to watch it, then I recommend that you get a chance to watch it now. It's called Seventy Six Days. It's a um, mainland Chinese documentary all about the frontline medical staff working in Wuhan during those first seventy six days of. The coronavirus outbreak when they weren't entirely sure what they were dealing with uh the entire city was being quarantined uh and it it sort of shies away from any kind of uh agenda there, there's no sort of political leaning one way or the other there's no judgment being made about you know who's in the right who's in the wrong here it's really just a, and you don't really even follow too closely any particular frontline workers. I, I believe it's actually sort of separated into a couple of different hospitals. I don't think it's all taking place in one hospital, but it's just about these poor medical staff, you know, who you, it's really hard to keep, even keep track of them individually because they're all in PPE head to toe. They've got their names scrawled across their uh, hazmat suits in sort of permanent marker as all of these patients are kind of coming in kind of coming out a lot of elderly patients some who are suffering from other illnesses dementia what have you there's one young couple who come in uh because she's giving birth uh and they get then separated from their newborn baby for 14 days without being able to even touch it or hold it once Mm. so they're sent home and this baby is in the hospital and so it's about the nurses caring for the baby while the parents are waiting back home and there were these really kind of touching, just you know, honest human stories, just about uh, you know what it's like dealing with this unknown disease, unknown pandemic, and the lengths that the staff are going not only to treat these people, but also keep everybody else at bay who's trying to you know seek help, and they you know force their way into the hospital and all this kind of stuff. So it's a really sort of sobering look at where this all started from, essentially, and how we got to where we are today. Yeah, you don't often talk about docos, do you? I mean, and it's interesting you say um, there's no political agenda and stuff like this. Um, mm. Whatever people think anybody knew or didn't know, you can bet your bottom dollar the boys driving the ambulances just were driving the ambulances. Well, yeah, this is it. This is it. And the film in no way is setting out to kind of expose the truth about, you know, what the government knew and what they cho- tried to hide. No, I hear or anything you. Like. I know That's what you mean. not what this yeah, is. Yeah. That's not what this is. Yeah, this is just you know, cha- essentially championing those frontline medical staff by just showing them in action at the time. Brilliant. And it's, uh, it's incredibly uh, engaging stuff. Have you run out now? I have more. Go on then. Give us a couple more minutes. Tell us okay, there's else. one other film. There's one other film that I have seen. There's a couple that I'm looking forward to that I haven't seen. There's one called Another Round, starring Matt Smickelson tomorrow about a group of teachers who just decide to stay drunk the whole time <laughs> because they think they're gonna, it's going to up their uh, <laughs> their productivity levels. And guess what? It doesn't work. But apparently, that's very very funny. That's uh, screening as of tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Vigo Mortensen has directed a semi-autobiographical drama starring himself and Lance Henriksen as his curmudgeonly uh, old father I'm very keen to check that one out another one I have seen however is First Cow First now, Cow this is an American oh, film yeah. it's kind of like a yeah <laughs> this is kind of like a it's a western it's an American western set in 1820 up in Oregon and it is about a, a cook who is traveling with a bunch of trappers uh, who he doesn't really like very much so he kind of runs away from them falls in with a Chinese guy called King Lu who is searching for gold but is also on the run. They kind of pair up and it 
turns out that they both are, you know are pretty good cooks and have a good understanding of food and when they the local sort of landowner brings in the first cow that the territory has ever seen they start sneaking in at night milking the cow and making sort of fresh cakes and scones <laughs> and all this kind of stuff and become something of a cause celeb so it's kind of like a western about cooking and uh, you know it's a really sort of delicately gently paced picturesque kind of story just about sort of frontier life just without all the shootouts and the six guns and whatever uh sounds good i i really liked it yeah the the, the performances are really strong the cow obviously is amazing uh <laughs> the the food that you see cooked is 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 incredibly appetizing and uh, it's be- beautifully photographed and again it's just a film that sort of although it's clearly very carefully framed and orchestrated you feel like you're just kind of observing the lives yeah. of real people in f, f and b movies um chef of course is it sideways yeah yeah exactly there is so, so many of these great films about food and this is i think the first western i've ever seen that's really about food and cows and uh it's great and cows it's that great. stay alive hey can you can you just recap what you talked about today would you I can, yes. Okay, so on Netflix right now you can watch The Beast, which is an Italian action drama, and The Call, which is a crazy Korean psychological supernatural thriller. Uh, And then at the International Film Festival and Awards Macau online right now, you can watch, among other things, Relic, you can watch First Cow, you can watch 76 Days, and much more. Take care, James. We'll do it all again next week at a similar time.